0: I'm going to read Acts chapter 14, verses one to seven, our passage for this morning. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews refused to believe, stirred up by the Gentile, stirred, They stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of His grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconium cities of Lystra, and Derby, and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the good news. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, we thank you for this wonderful holiday that we have been celebrating, the birth of your Son, the Incarnation, God becomes human, that the thought just boggles the mind, Lord. It also boggles our minds when we think about the reason for your son taking upon himself human flesh. And that is so that he might be able to go to Calvary's cross where he would bear in his sinless body our sin. And where he would die our death. What a magnificent Savior we have. And we celebrate him at this Christmas season father guide us in our study this morning thank you for those here who have trusted christ as their savior we pray that as this year ends and the new year begins that they that each one of us who know you as savior would recommit ourselves to walking in your spirit to living out your truth to reading and studying your word and father if there are any this morning who have yet to trust christ we pray that they might trust him this day not themselves not religion not not religious ritual but jesus and him alone for salvation thank you we pray these things in jesus name amen well acts chapter 14 and iconium is the third leg of the first missionary journey it's the third leg Of the first missionary journey We've already studied the trip from uh, Antioch in Syria Which is the sending church Remember that was the church that sent Paul and Barnabas out on their missionary journey Uh, We have studied that first leg from Antioch in Syria to Cyprus We studied the second leg from Cyprus to Pisidian Antioch That's a different city uh, Pisidian Antioch there were many cities named Antioch you'll remember from our study over the last several weeks and uh, that's how they determined which was which this is Pisidian Antioch and uh, then the third leg of the journey was Pisidian Antioch to Iconium now what you're going to see and what I hope you will remember as we continue through our study in the book of Acts is there's a pattern that's developing here There's a pattern that's developing here. That is, there's a strong presentation of the gospel by Paul and Barnabas, particularly Paul as the speaker of the group. There's rejection by the Jews. We're going to see it again this morning in Acts chapter 14. There is ministry then to the Gentiles. uh, And then the next part of the pattern is persecution by unbelievers both verbal and physical, both verbal and physical persecution as the Gentiles are stirred up by the Jews. The next part of the cycle is the apostles leave the area, but they don't quit, they don't turn back, they keep going, they continue to preach the gospel in a new area, and the cycle begins again. We're going to see that over and over and over again as we study the book of Acts. Acts 14 finds them in Iconium, where once again, opportunity and opposition go hand in hand. Remember, that's a key to understanding this section. Not only the cycle that we're going to see over and over again, but opportunity goes hand in hand with opposition. The other side of that is true as well. Opposition also leads to opportunity. So remember those two words. They're important to remember as we go through the the book of Acts that there is opportunity and opposition go hand in hand. Opposition leads to opportunity. So that's what we see here. Now, I want to take a moment. I'd kind of like to intersect with Christmas this morning. We sang a lot of Christmas Hymns, I'm sure you enjoyed those. Uh, So I want to intersect a little bit with Christmas this morning. What, What was this message? What was this message that was so important to Paul and Barnabas, so important to the early church, so important to the apostles? What was this message that they would endure persecution, that they would endure the threat of death? Why would they do that? Why would they do that? Well, I think 1 Timothy 3.16 helps us to understand that. It's the true message of Christmas. God becoming man, dying in our place, resurrected from the dead to conquer sin and death. 1 Timothy 3.16, if you open there, turn back to that section. This is uh, where Paul tells us the mystery of godliness is great. Now whenever you see the word mystery in the Bible, it's not something mysterious, it's not Sherlock Holmes. I found it funny that our passage for this morning in Acts has the word afoot. I almost (laughs) wanted to say the scripture is afoot. Uh, But uh, uh, at any rate, it doesn't mean something mysterious when you see the word mystery, what it is talking about is something that was previously unknown but is now being revealed. Something that the Old Testament saints did not understand but now is being revealed more greatly. So what is this Paul uh, that Paul calls in First Timothy 3, verse 16, the mystery of godliness? Well, the next verses, the next uh, lines are from what we consider to be an early Christian hymn. The the Christians in the early church would put doctrine into hymns so that they could more easily communicate the doctrine and they could more easily communicate the truth through the songs. This is one of those early Christian hymns. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, Was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Now, there are about six or seven important things here, but I only want to focus on three this morning. When it says, when Paul says, He appeared in the body, what's that talking about? The incarnation. Exactly what we're celebrating at Christmas, right? The incarnation. He appeared in the body. That is God. The eternal God took upon Himself human flesh. That's just an amazing thought. If that doesn't blow your mind, nothing will. That's an amazing thought. God, the eternal God, took upon Himself human flesh and became a human being. That's what He appeared in the body is referring to, the incarnation. Then was vindicated by the Spirit. What is that referring to? Anybody want to take a guess? Aha, it's a little tougher, huh? The resurrection, I don't, I couldn't hear the answers, but the resurrection, uh, he was vindicated by the Spirit, that is, the fact that he was resurrected from the dead shows that God accepted his sacrifice. It's evidence to us that God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his Son, on the part of uh, each one of us for sin. And then the third part of this uh, that I think intersects with our study in the book of Acts is the last line was taken up into glory. Now, what do you think that is? Taken up into glory? Ascension, that's right. Ascension, that's right. Uh, So, Paul here uh, tries to summarize the Christian message. Now, they focused a lot in the book of Acts on the uh, the resurrection of Christ, which is important, but there is no resurrection without an incarnation, right? And there's no ascension without a resurrection. So they all go together. They're all very important. And that, this is how Paul summarizes what is important in the Christ, Christian message. So what I, I want to just take a few moments in and then we'll get back into Acts is to answer the question, uh, why the Incarnation? Why the Incarnation? I just want to give you six quick reasons why the Incarnation. The first reason, and we're going to go through these fairly quickly, the first reason is because God promised it. Because God promised it. Why the incarnation? Because God promised it. Pastor Chris, last Sunday, did a great job of going over the Old Testament. What did you call them? The tracking numbers. The Old Testament tracking numbers. The Old Testament uh, prophecies of the coming of Christ. You see, God promised his son would come Uh, some of the scripture that Chris talked about last week I'll just remind you about Isaiah 714 700 years before the birth of Christ talked about the fact that one would be born of a virgin so God promised it God promised the incarnation a special child would be born of a virgin Uh, Another one that Chris talked about last week was Micah 5 2, also 700 years before the time of Christ, which prophesied where this special child would be born. And as you know, that was where? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. And then the third scripture that Chris talked about last week uh, was Isaiah 9, uh, 6, and 7, which talks about the uniqueness of of this son. Um, So... The first reason for the incarnation is because God promised it. God promised incarnation. Um, Another one that Chris talked about that I thought was really great was was, uh, uh, Genesis 3, 15 and 16. That's where God already at the beginning promised that one would be born of a woman who would crush Satan's head. So God promised it. The second reason for the Incarnation, and there's, there's so much more. You could look at Galatians 4.4, 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under law. Uh, there's so many more that we could add, but God promised it. The second reason for the Incarnation is because God loves us. Because God loves us. 1 John 4.9, God showed us how much He loved us by sending His only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. So not only did God promise the incarnation, but God loved us and sent His Son to show how much He loved us. That's what John said in 1 John chapter 4, and verse 9. The third reason for the incarnation is And this is one that we often overlook. And it's maybe the most important one. The third reason is so that God's justice would be satisfied. So that God's justice would be satisfied. John went went on to say in 1 John 4.10, This is real love. It is not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Literally what he's saying there, he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That is a wonderful theological word, propitiation. It means satisfaction. God is satisfied by the death of his son. See, he couldn't just wave his hand and said, okay, I, I just forgive you all, it's, it's fine you sinned, you turned away from me, you really became pretty gross people, but it's okay. And pat us on the back. That's not what God did. You see, sin had to be judged. Sin had to be judged. Therefore, He had to send His Son into the world to take upon Himself human flesh so that He could go to Calvary's cross where He would take your place and my place. Sin had to be judged. Jesus was the propitiation for our sin. God is satisfied with his sacrifice. The, let me share a, a real quick um, illustration of this. Uh, any of you familiar with the name uh, Fiorello LaGuardia? Anybody ever heard LaGuardia? Okay, you know about the airport called LaGuardia Airport. That's named after uh, early... Uh, mayor of New York City named Fiorella LaGuardia and uh, he was a colorful character apparently I don't know a lot about him Uh, there's a a little devotional book called Dad's devotional book that Kathy and the boys gave me some years ago and I still use it today even though we are empty nesters and they're long gone I still like to look in Dad's devotional book and they have a story about Fiorella LaGuardia they say this about him, and uh, this is Dad's devotional book, I'm quoting here. One of New York City's most popular mayors was Fiorello LaGuardia. Nearly every older New Yorker has a favorite memory of him. Some recall the day he read the funny papers over the radio with all the appropriate inflections after a strike kept the Sunday newspapers off the stands. Others remember his outburst against the bums who exploited the poor. Well, one time, and again I'm quoting, The mayor chose to preside in a night court. An old woman was brought before him, and this is a a true story. An old woman was brought before him on the bitterly cold night. The charge was stealing a loaf of bread. She explained as her reason for the theft that her family was starving. LaGuardia replied, I've got to punish you. The law makes no exception. I fine you $10 at that he reached into his own pocket and pulled out a $10 bill he said well here's the $10 to pay your fine, which I now remit that's a great illustration of what God did God could not just wink at sin he could not just say hey it's okay guys sin had to be judged so what did he do he reached into his pocket And sent his only son that he might take our place on the cross of Calvary. Sin is paid for, God is satisfied. Sin is paid for, God is satisfied because of the incarnation. Because of the incarnation. The fourth reason for the incarnation is because we were in need of a Savior. We are sinners. We are sinners. Uh, you, you, Most of you are familiar with the Scriptures. Romans 3.23. How does that go? All have... Okay, that's enough. No more torture. I won't torture you further. Further, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay? Uh, Romans 6.23, the wages death. is death. You and I deserve death. You and I deserve death. We needed a Savior. We needed a Savior. The fourth reason for the incarnation is because we were in need of a Savior. The fifth, uh, I want to I go through these quickly. The fifth, there's so much more we can say about these. The fifth reason for the incarnation is so that Jesus could die in our place. How do you imagine the eternal God dying? The eternal God, the God who has existed always. God has never not existed. Can you imagine that? We can't imagine that. We we came into being on a certain date. And then we were delivered on another date. (laughs) Can you imagine that? God always existed. So how could God die in our place? Well, through the incarnation. Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15 says it this way. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, Jesus also became flesh and blood by being born in human form. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death, Only in this way could he deliver those who have lived all their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Therefore it was necessary, this is Hebrews 2.17, therefore it was necessary for Jesus to be in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. He then could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. The fifth reason is so that Jesus could die in our place. Jesus had to be human so that He could die for us. The sixth reason is also found in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, because animal sacrifices could not remove sin. The writer of Hebrews said, those yearly sacrifices reminded them Of their sins year after year for it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins the Old Testament sacrificial system looked forward to the coming of a Savior who would once and for all put away sin but they knew because they had to sacrifice animals year after year after year after year that all that animals blood did was cover over their sin for a year but it would have to be done again and again. So God sent His Son, the Incarnation. God sent His Son so that He could once and for all put away sin. Those are, those are some reasons for the Incarnation. We could spend a lot more time on that. Uh, l- let me just uh, share with you um, a little... Uh, story that was told by E. Stanley Jones. Not not many of us know E. Stanley Jones. Uh, He was a great missionary teacher. Uh, He's worth uh, reading, and I particularly would tell you to get The Divine Yes, because it's really a great read. It's only tiny, it's a small book, but E. Stanley Jones, you will profit from reading The Divine Yes. Uh, he tells this story in The Divine Yes. A little boy was in the States while his father and mother were across the sea as missionaries. Christmas Day came and the principal of the school said to himself, that boy will be homesick for his parents. So he went to see the little boy and said to him, what would you like most of all on this Christmas morning? The little boy thought a moment and pointed to a picture of his father on his dresser and said, I would like most of all that my father would step out of that frame and come and be with me. That is the homesick cry of humanity, Jones said. I wish my heavenly father would step out of the frame of the universe and come down and be with me. That has Happened. God has stepped out of the frame of the universe and we have seen him in the face of Jesus Christ. That's incarnation. That's incarnation. Why the incarnation? Because God promised it, because he loves us, because his justice had to be satisfied, because we were in need of a savior so that Jesus could die in our place because animal sacrifices were insufficient reason for the incarnation now that takes us back to our study in the book of acts and I hope you still have acts chapter uh, 14 open acts chapter 14 we began this passage uh, uh, two weeks ago at Iconium Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue there's that pattern again they went into the Jewish synagogue they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers. Well, why are people lost? Do you ever think about that question? Why, why are people lost? Well, I, I know it's because of sin. I know that because uh, they reject the Savior. But why do they do that? People are lost first and foremost because they refuse the truth. Not because it's too difficult to understand. Not because uh, it requires some special knowledge. People are lost because they refuse God's truth. It's as simple as that. That's what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 9 to 12, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. People are lost because they refuse the truth. Not that they don't understand it, not that it's too confusing, Not that it's beyond their comprehension, but because they refuse the truth. You see, those who are lost are lost not because they lack information. Now, we do need to be about taking the gospel to them. There's no question about that. The Scripture makes that clear. You and I need to be sharing the gospel with those around us. Those who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior, they need to hear the truth. But the bottom line for why people are lost is because they refuse the truth. It is a moral decision. People make a moral decision to refuse to be saved. To refuse to submit themselves to God. It's a moral decision. They don't want to give up a certain lifestyle. They don't want to give up the lifestyle of sin. And so they refuse the truth. It's not that it's hard to understand but they don't want to give up their sin. 2nd Peter chapter 3 verses 3 to 7 and we don't have time to turn there but 2nd Peter chapter 3 verses 3 to 7 where Paul where Peter rather is talking about the flood and how people were lost in the flood even though Noah was building the ark for how long Listen to the man. (laughs) 120 years. He was building the ark. They knew something was happening. They knew something was coming. No doubt Noah had shared with them it was coming. But why did so many perish? Why were so few saved? Why? Peter tells us it's because they deliberately forget. Future people who are lost deliberately forget that there was a flood. And God judged the world by flood. And this present world is reserved for destruction by what? Fire. Fire. Destruction by fire. People are lost because they refuse the truth. It is a moral decision on their part. They deliberately reject the truth. They refuse to believe the truth and so be saved. While we go on, Verse 2, the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles, poisoned their mind against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerably time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of His grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. Well, we've talked about that before, so I don't want to spend a lot of time. I'll just go over the bullet points uh, about the idea of these miracles, these signs, these wonders that accompanied the preaching of the gospel in the early church, remember, they would, the, the, as we look at the nature of miracles, the nature of signs and wonders, they would confirm that God's hand was in that ministry. They were confirmatory. That was the first thing. They were confirmatory. They confirmed that God's hand was in that ministry. Secondly, they were to authenticate the message. They were to authenticate the message and the messenger. Why was that necessary? Why was it necessary to have this authentication? Why was it necessary to have this confirmation? There was no completed New Testament canon. There was no completed New Testament canon. The New Testament was just beginning to be written at the time of the early church. And so therefore, they did not have the confirmation. They did not have the authentication that you and I have today in the Bible. And so therefore, to authenticate them, to confirm them, God did these things. Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 12 calls them signs of an apostle. In fact, it was written Only the apostles and a few others like Barnabas who did these signs and wonders that authenticated their message, that confirmed their message. Remember also, it would identify, the third word that we need here, it would identify them with what person? Jesus Christ. Because they did what He did. So it would confirm, it would authenticate, it would identify them with Jesus Christ look at Acts 2 22. keep your finger in Acts 14 and look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 22 we'll see if I can find it quickly I wouldn't do too good in a sword drill right <laughs> anybody here know what a sword drill is anymore okay we have a few people Acts 2.22 Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. In other words, God accredited Jesus' ministry through those miracles and signs and wonders that he did which the Old Testament predicted the Messiah would do. And so now God was authenticating, God was confirming, God was identifying the apostles by the fact that they did these same kinds of miracles. J. Vernon McGee said, As we have seen, Paul and Barnabas had the gifts of an apostle, the sign gifts. They came into these places without any New Testament with a message of the gospel. What were their credentials? You see, that's the key here. What were their credentials? How could they prove their message was from God? The sign gifts were their credentials. They needed them. Today we have the entire Bible and what people need today is to study this Bible and to learn what it has to say. If only we could get people to do that. Were you all listening to Steve earlier? When he made the announcement? You know, we had some of our guys in seminary, and Chris, maybe you found it the same way, who crammed four years into five. Or they crammed four years into six. We're supposed to graduate in four years, but many did it in five years or six years or seven years. So why don't you cram your Bible reading, your one-year Bible reading into two? Or cram your one-year Bible reading into three? Just do it. Just do it. If you get behind, don't worry about it. Like Steve said, pick up where you're at. If it's a month later, pick it up a month later. Just don't quit. Don't stop. It's important that you and I know the Word of God. As McGee says, today we have the entire Bible. We're not missing a New Testament, right? We're not missing a New Testament. We have the entire Bible and what people need today is to study this Bible and learn what it has to say and as McGee said, if only we could get people to do that. Well, Larry Richards said their witness was punctuated with healing miracles. A couple more thoughts real quickly and we're going to draw things to a close. A close. Uh, Miracles, Warren Wiersbe said, by themselves do not produce either conviction or faith. They must be accompanied by the Word of God. They must be accompanied by the Word of God. We've already looked at this uh, over the last couple of weeks, uh, last couple of months actually. We've looked at the fact that miracles alone are not sufficient. You need the Word of God. A person can be served, can be saved. By simply having the word of God. The word of God is effective and mighty and powerful. What was the place then of miracles? It was confirmatory, authenticating, identifying. And it was secondary to the truth of the gospel. It was secondary to the truth of the gospel. Well... So Paul and Barnabas, verse 3, spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of His grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs. The people of the city were divided. Underline that word because, remember, divided is another key. The gospel divides. It doesn't unite. It divides. It divides believers from unbelievers. And so there we have that word again. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot. Aha, the plot is afoot. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews. Do any of you read Sherlock Holmes? There was a plot afoot. That was a laugh line. You're saying get on with it. Okay, I I get it. Get on with it. (laughs) The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. Wow! I might be in trouble today if that were still happening. (laughs) Uh, To mistreat them and plot them. But they found out about it and they fled to the Lyconium cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the good news. They did not quit. They did not quit, but continued to preach the gospel of His grace. What is the gospel of His grace? The gospel of His grace is defined by one person as this, the news that God loves people and has provided salvation as a free gift to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Today's the day. Not tomorrow, not the next day, but today is the day. Put your faith in the one Jesus Christ, the one that God sent His Son Jesus Christ to this earth at Christmas time. While many were responsive to the gospel in Iconium, yet Paul and Barnabas found that opportunity and opposition went hand in hand. That principle is still true today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for such a wonderful message. Thank you for the incarnation that we celebrate at this time of year. We pray, Father, for the people here in this auditorium. We pray for the people that we each of us knows who need Jesus Christ as Savior. It's a decision that people so easily put off at their peril. If there are any here who need Christ. May they do business with you this morning and acknowledge that they are putting their trust in Your Son. And Father, help us to be sensitive to the leading of Your Spirit as we interact with the people around us on our jobs, in our homes, in our neighborhoods who know not Christ. Make us sensitive to Your Spirit. When it is time to them to hear the truth. We pray in Jesus' name.